0: It was only one screw. You know, what does that matter? Well, today we are looking at, of course, uh, Easter Sunday, and Easter uh, is the central theme of the church. If we've, you know, most of the times we think of Christmas and Easter, but in the early church, Easter was the only celebration. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gave um, credence to everything that Jesus taught. And whenever you think about the Bible and you think about uh, the Old Testament and all the things, all the sacrifices and things going on in the Old Testament, that Jesus Christ came to fulfill those things, to complete those things. And we find that in our lesson today, or in the message today, it's the title of it, His Life Is, is My Life. His Life Is My Life. And I, I wanted to start a, a little bit into um, Good Friday uh, and the crucifixion of Jesus. We know that on Friday in the afternoon that Jesus has died and that he is on the cross. And Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and he asks him for the body of Jesus. Now, um, usually, well, Jesus had nowhere for his body to be laid. He <clears throat> there was you know, he was executed as a criminal. Probably they were going to take him and dump his body in, a, in what they call a potter's field. And that's where all the people who were unclaimed or had no uh, means of wealth were, were, were thrown. And so probably that's where his body would have ended up. But Joseph of Arimathea, he is a, a wealthy individual who has had his tomb already dug, <laughs> dug out. Now, of course, we need to remember that in those places, they would dig caves into the side of the hills. And then inside of the cave, inside of this opening, uh, they would have as it were, shelves of stone that they had hewed out of the edge of the stone. And it was on those stone ledges then that bodies would be laid. Well, they had taken the body of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea. He had t- taken it and they, he had somewhat prepared it for the burial. And not all of the Jewish rituals had been uh, fulfilled with the uh, burial of Jesus. But most, of, some of them had and they had placed him in the tomb. Now, the the, uh, the interesting thing is that for, for uh, as you're reading this, at sundown, the priests and the Pharisees arranged a meeting with Pilate. Now, sometimes people look at this and they look at the resurrection of Jesus and they say, well, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's kind of folklore. It's a campfire tradition that started by a bunch of people sitting around a campfire and didn't really know much. And uh, they were just making up some really good stories. Well... The life, death, the life, ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus is not, does not just show up when Jesus is born. We have 1,500 years of prophecies. We have 1,500 years of people talking about a Messiah, talking about how the Messiah would come, what he would be like, what his ministry would be. The, the problem arose whenever the uh, Jewish people were... Uh, waiting for a messiah the romans had taken over the country and the romans are this (laughs) uh, controlling you know faction in the community that you're going to be controlled or you're going to die and so the romans had this iron-fisted mentality that you do it our way or you die well the jewish people felt that there would be a messiah that would come and this messiah would then liberate them from the romans uh, from the roman rule So their idea of a Messiah is a guy coming on the white horse, and he's got all this power and all this strength, unites Israel and the armies, and let's go drive out the Romans. Okay, Well, Jesus kept telling them that this is not what I'm here for. The kingdom that I've come to establish is not the kingdom like the Romans or the kingdom like David had. In, you know, and his throne, they kept thinking of a Messiah in the way that David ruled, uh, you know, King David in, in that time period in which they ruled over the earth, and they, they had, a, they had a, a big army, a large standing army, and, and the whole works. And so everybody's looking for this type of a Messiah, and Jesus doesn't come this way. He comes to take away the sins, the, the things that separate us from God, not the things that give us a, a kingdom and a, and a palace and a, a, an emperor. So at sundown, the high priest and the Pharisees came to Pilate and they said, you know, we want to have the, we, we to have the tomb of Jesus sealed, <laughs> okay? We want to have the tomb of Jesus sealed. Now, we think, well, what good is that, you know? Uh, well, if the seal of the Roman government meant that it cannot be broken, so you can imagine they're putting ropes or whatever around the, sea, around the tomb, around this big stone that over, uh, is rolled in front of the entrance of this cave. And we think, well, that's what we have to do. We have to put the seal on there. We have to put the seal of the Roman emperor on there. Plus, we have Roman guards, and we want to make sure they don't come and steal his body. But what's going on with the Pharisees and the, and the priests? When Jesus died on the cross, his death tore the veil inside of the temple. Now, it's the, the, the curtain inside the temple was not like a piece of cloth that you tear. It was about six inches thick. It was a woven, interwoven, interwoven veil that separated the priests from what they considered the Holy of Holies, which was the, the place where the altar was, where God was supposed to dwell and when Jesus died, this veil was torn apart. Now, if it's, perhaps if it's you or I, if we're faced with an obvious miracle, with an obvious uh, revelation, you know, we would believe that. You know, if something really showed up that told us that something we had just done was totally wrong, we might be a little concerned about it. Well, the Pharisees and the priests... They had Jesus crucified, but whenever the veil was torn in half, they became a little terrified, maybe a lot terrified, to the point that they had remembered that Jesus had told them that he was going to rise from the dead. Now, why would Pharisees and religious leaders at the time, who are in political power, and and the religious system at that time was more political than it was religious, and so their power was being challenged by this ripping of the veil. And now there's no way there can be a resurrection. I mean, there's just no way somebody's going to come back from the dead. Somebody's going to steal his body. So they took all of the precautions to make sure that Jesus didn't get out of the tomb. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of funny how funny we are <laughs> when it comes to things like that. It's, it's the obvious that we're... Uh, challenged with, you know, um, it'd be like uh, our son uh, or, or our daughter Rachel. <laughs> She's here. Yeah. Uh, when they were growing up, I always listened to them. They told, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it'd be like um, going to uh, going on a vacation, and uh, that David and Rachel—they're out there, always running around somewhere, and you can never find them. You know, and I know the way to the, to the room or I know the way to the restaurant or whatever. And I'm going this way. And David or Rachel would come along and say, no, dad, there's a better way. No, there's not a better way. I know the way, you know. Well, come to find out if you went their way, it was much shorter, much better. And they were right. But you never told your kids that because it didn't work, you know. <laughs> well, here it is, Jesus telling us, <laughs> telling us and showing us that he has the better way. There is a better way than the Old Testament priesthood and the Old Testament sacrificing of animals. There is the risen Savior. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 1, um, we, have the, the, we have what has taken place after the burial, uh, after the rolling of the stone in place. The rolling stones were there. And. Uh, <laughs> Those of you who aren't old enough, that's a rock group, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> so, the stones in front of the grave, it's been sealed by everything. Of every. If, if there was a, um, a seal that meant, do not disturb, cannot open, the highest power, the authority of, 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 the, of the then known world has stated, this rock cannot be moved. After after the Sabbath, as the first light of the new week dawned, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to keep vigil at the tomb. Suddenly the earth reeled and rocked under the feet as God's angel came down from heaven, came right up to where they were standing. He rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Shafts of light blazed from his, his garments shimmering snow white. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. They were so frightened they couldn't move. And one translation has they, their knees were knocking and they fell to the ground as dead men. And the angel spoke to the woman, the woman there is nothing to fear here. <laughs> I know you're looking for Jesus, the, the one they nailed to the cross. He is not here, he has risen. Just as he said, come and look at the place where he was placed. You see, in, in this reading, I, I came, you know, just going over it here uh, the other day. It says there's nothing, there is nothing to fear here. No, there's nothing to fear here. When, when Mary and them are standing at this tomb, with the stone rolled away, there's an angel has come, the, the Roman soldiers are as dead men laying there, But Mary and Martha are there, and the angel says there's nothing to fear here. And when we think of death and we think of cemeteries and we think of people we've known and loved, there is nothing to fear here. (laughs) Because what God has done, what Christ has done here at the resurrection and coming to life, bringing, you know, back to life, that... There's nothing to fear in death. There's nothing to fear in our future. There's nothing to fear in our belief of Jesus and our trust in Him. There's nothing to fear. You know? So it's, it's not like we, we God, you know, hey, uh, I'm here, I haven't spoke to you a long time because I was afraid, you know, <laughs> I was afraid you'd were you know you'd zap me or something, you know. I've you know, heard of people doing that, getting zapped. But, uh, you know, um, there's nothing to fear in our faith there's nothing in our fear in our relationship with jesus christ that we are to be afraid of and we find that in the scriptures it talks about how the jesus not only appeared to the 12 i, I like the idea when jesus tells in other on uh, the other gospels it talks about how the jesus told the, the women go back and tell the disciples and to tell peter You know, go tell the rest of the disciples and tell Peter especially that I'm alive. Did you know, and it's like when you read that, it's like Peter, God is saying, Peter who denied me three times, I want him to know that I'm not upset with him. He didn't fail me. He just didn't understand me. See, when... I spoke a little bit about this last week when when, uh, they're in the garden and they're coming for Jesus. Peter, what he does is he pulls out his sword because he's already told Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. You know, and Jesus says, well, three times this night you're going to deny me before the cock crows in the morning. Peter says, no way. So when the people came, the soldiers came, what did Peter do? He pulled out his sword and he was ready to die. And Jesus said, put the sword away. Because that's not not what I'm about, and then he denies Christ three times later. What happens in our faith and in our life we don't understand. We come at life with the sword. I know what religion is. I know what God wants of me, and we pull out our swords and we're ready to go battle and tell everybody they're going to hell. You know, (laughs) and if you don't believe it, I'm going to put you there. You know, and we're going and we're going to do battle. And God is saying, that's not what I'm about. Put that sword away because what I want to do is I want to change your heart. I want want your heart to be different. I want the core of who you are as a person to be completely different. And that's what was going on with Peter because Peter was this brash, harsh, rough-necked fisherman. (laughs) He was a brawler. I can just imagine. He's a brawling kind of guy. And Jesus is trying to make him the head of the church. (laughs) Yeah. How do you take somebody who's a brawling kind of guy and make him the head of the church, you know? They're going to believe or die, you know? (laughs) That's a little joke. Uh, But uh, (laughs) So Jesus then is telling Peter, put away the sword. And when Peter denies Christ, you know, he's devastated because he did fail. But Jesus wasn't looking at his failure. He was looking at what he could become. And if there's anything that you take away from today is God is not interested in your failures. He's interested in what's inside of you that you can become. When, when, when we talk about the resurrection, Paul says um, that the spirit of Christ that is in us will quicken our mortal bodies. Okay? We were, our mortal bodies will be quickened. Now, not nine, nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten, I always thought, well, that means whenever you're dead and in the grave and God blows the trumpet and everybody comes back to life, that's God's quickening power. Okay, God's going to quicken you when you're dead. But it's more than that. The quickening power of God is already alive in us. Okay? God is already alive in us. He breathed into us the breath of life and we became a living soul. We are a living soul. And and it's, it's important that we know that when this body dies, the living soul doesn't. Everything that is life in us goes to heaven. We are eternal beings. We are eternal beings. Now... We don't need to wait until we die to find out if we go to heaven or not. We need to look at how that we receive Christ into our life. You think about what Christ wants to do for us. He wants to forgive us of our sins. Now, being forgiven of our sins is forgiving ourselves of all the failures and mistakes that we've made. Okay? Forgiveness is about letting go of all the past mistakes and failures and whether it's been out and out, right, deliberate or indeliberate or, you know, just anything that we've done wrong that creates a failure in us, God wants us to let that go. And he wants us to let it go. And how he lets it go is he forgives us. So if I am forgiven by God, then I need to forgive myself. And that's where that quickening power of God lives, is inside of us. Then we have God quickening us like all of the potential that's inside of each one of us do you know how much potential is in this place nobody answered that so I was just wondering <laughs> do you know how much potential is in this place you know from the little ones hi <laughs> from the little ones from the infant ones the the 10-day-old. Yeah, there we go. You know, that little package, it's interesting. The Bible says that while we were yet in our mother's womb, God formed us. And he, in that whole time, he's forming and developing. It's like all the storehouse, everything that we're going to need is in the package. Everything that that little child needs in, in her, right? His. I had, I had a 50-50 chance, and I lost it. <laughs> I don't, I don't gamble because, you know, I always go for the sure thing. In uh, that little child, him, everything that he is going to need in his life is already in there. And the circumstances of life are going to cause those things to come out. But the challenge is that we allow the Spirit of God to continue to influence that character and the influence the, that quickening that God has put inside of us. I believe that every Christian, that we should be the most creative people on the planet because the Spirit of God that spoke the world into existence and spoke the universe into existence is the same God who speaks inside of us, where our dreams come from and where our desires come from. We were created for a purpose, and that purpose is bigger than who we are. It's greater than who we are. And so we are constantly in this process of becoming. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will quicken your mortal bodies. That the quickening power of God is there to stimulate, to bring to fruition, to bring ideas, to bring love and peace, patience and gentleness and kindness, long-suffering, forbearance. That God's spirit in us is to quicken that type of response of forgiving ourselves and forgiving others. Not allowing the pain of yesterday to continue to influence today's decisions. Not allowing the pain of yesterday to influence today's decisions. That's what forgiveness is about. It's about letting us become. And so God is in the process of becoming. So he's becoming us. And and we read in 1 Corinthians 15... Paul says, if a corpse can't be raised, then Christ wasn't because he was indeed dead. If the dead can't be raised, then Jesus is still dead. That's what he's saying here. So this argument that goes on in life, this argument that goes on in people's, in our minds and things, is that, you know, is there really a resurrection? <laughs> is there really something like this that exists? And Paul says, if, if there isn't something like this that exists... Then Jesus didn't is not alive. But if he did, if it does exist, and it and Paul talks about how that there was over 500 people that saw him at one time, and how that the disciples and others they saw Jesus, and, and they, you know, he goes to Peter, he tells Peter, tell him alive. Who's the other big doubter that we know? Thomas. And Jesus doesn't leave Thomas out. He goes in and he says, Where's Thomas? Oh, Thomas, he's not going to believe unless he can put his finger in your, the wounds and, you know, examine the, the, the corpse here. And Jesus doesn't shy away from Thomas. He goes to the disciples, hey, Thomas, come here. Come here. Come here. Imagine Jesus saying, Thomas, come here. He he just showed up in the room. (laughs) Jesus just shows up in the room because the resurrected body isn't limited like this body is. And so Thomas shows up in the room and he says, Thomas, come here. Because God doesn't have a problem with your doubts. God doesn't have a problem with what what we doubt, what we disbelieve. He's not worried about that. What he wants of us is that we would recognize the questions that we have, and then have solutions to those questions that come from the Scripture, not from what we imagine. The, um, the, the, imagine, the people who imagine God make God like us. You know, they make God in our, own, in our own image. How can God be everywhere at the same time? You know, that's just not, you know, how can that be? How can he raise people from the dead? Why does this happen the way that it did? Why are these people, you know, starving in Africa? Why are, they, why are these things going on? Well, you know what? I always say that if, if we have something that stands in the way of our belief, we need to do something for that cause. And in doing something for that cause, we are fulfilling the need for that person's life. For someone's life so if we are worried about the starving in Africa then we need to start doing something about the starving in Africa if we're worried about the lonely person somewhere we need to do something in order to help meet meet that loneliness because God is inspiring us and leading us in a direction that can help us make a difference and whenever we make a difference in one life it can end up making a difference in two lives and in three lives well the blood of Christ that was shed upon the cross will never lose its power. The blood of Christ will never ever lose its power. It is the power to wash away sin. It is the power to unto God is the power of God unto salvation which cleanses us from all of our sins and renews a right spirit within us. Do you know anybody who's really critical? You know, they're not sitting beside you. Okay. Uh, If you know somebody who's very critical, they are one who's always finding fault. There's always something wrong with something, you know? Uh, No matter what it is, there's something wrong with something, you know? And people have a critical spirit about themselves. It's never done right. It's never done on time. And even if it was done right and was done on time, it wasn't done good enough, okay? And... But salvation isn't about... Renewing a right spirit in us is not about being supercritical. It's about seeing how, what good can be done and continue to be done. So salvation is about what Christ has done in us to save us from our sins and that the life of God, the breath of God is alive in us and we are quickened by a supernatural power. And you see, it's God's intent is to bring hope. Now, the hope that God gives to us, okay, it's important. We understand hope. Most of the time when we think of hope, it's something that I wish for. You know, I wish for $118 million, I think, is in the lottery this morning. I think I read that or saw that when I was at Sheets buying donuts. It was 118 I didn't buy the ticket because I can't, I can't even win 50-50. But, uh, and I'm the only one, you know. So I don't, I don't do that. Uh, but whenever we look at this, and we see what God has done, he he is the one who has instilled in us this life-giving breath that can never be extinguished. Now, if evil knew everything, it would have never had Jesus crucified. If the devil and evil knew your future, wouldn't allow you to be here today. (laughs) But you see, he doesn't know the future. He didn't know the future of Jesus, Because it was the death of Jesus that brought about the complete destruction of evil. If evil were a candle, okay? If evil were a candle and God, no, excuse me. If God in his word were a candle, okay? If God in his word and the work of Jesus Christ is a candle that is lit, evil does not have enough breath, or power to blow it out. They tried and failed. Christ rose from the dead. Evil was destroyed and their their sentence was done. It was stated that it will never own us. So when we have the, the life of Christ in us, it's to bring hope, it's to bring restoration, it's to bring healing, it's to unlock all that God has given and placed within us. Now, we have to go through a process, and some of you are still in school and enjoying every minute of it. <laughs> and some are going to college and being a professor and some are just going to get started. And I don't know what grade you are. what grade are you in? Yeah. Fourth. Aha, uh-huh, there's a fourth grade teacher. She's just retired. Yeah, those girls, Ah, yeah, there. Yeah, we had, I, we, got, we got about seven teachers here today, so you better watch, you know. And one future one. Yeah, so, you know, but you see, the, the, and then, you know, I'll be done shortly. <laughs> <laughs> pastor is your back hurting yet can't you quit can you stand up (laughs) why don't you stand up for five minutes you know yeah it's a chair collapse yeah 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 that's why i'm behind the pulpit i get i can duck from hecklers you know when we say the name of jesus okay when we say the name of jesus the same power that, Ray, that he rose from the dead with dwells in us. That power is here, inside of us. And when we say his name, it is a quickening goes, inside, goes on inside of us, like an excitement, an anticipation. That whenever we pray and ask God for, and thank God for the day, and thank God for the opportunities that are in front of us, and sometimes opportunities are uniquely descri- described, described, no, uniquely dressed as problems. <laughs> and whenever we pray and ask God to give us strength and wisdom and understanding to deal with what's in front of us, we are, we are asking the creativity that brought the worlds and the universe into existence to work inside of us. And so when we, na- when we call upon the name of Jesus, it's not a magic wand. It is the quickening power of God and we are changed from the inside out it's not what we've done wrong it's what we've done right and we continue to focus on what the right is in God and and we focus on what the truth is and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in us and he is quickening us with dreams with goals with desires with you know we're not done living yet we're not done living. If we were done living, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> You'd be up there. You would be gone. So it's a really 99.9% possibility that <laughs> our life isn't over yet. It's 100% possibility that our life isn't over yet. Because what God has in, for- in store for us has not even begun to be imagined in the hearts and minds of us. Because we think so confined within life and jobs and education and we're so blinded by life that we don't see the creator of life opening up possibilities for us. Opening up new doors, new opportunities. That God specializes in things that are impossible. If we are, people who are addicted, people who have illnesses, people who have, we call upon the name of Jesus and whether we are living or whether we are dying, we are God's. And I've been with hundreds of people who are dying and have died. And when we pray, there's just an assurance that I know that their life is over and I know where they're going and they know where they're going and they're at peace with dying. But I don't want us to be at peace with dying. I want us to be at peace with living. Because we are alive and because we are alive at this moment, because God's spirit is alive within us, it quickens our minds and our hearts and it ignites that passion, that desire for life and for love and for change and challenge that we can become, we can become, we can become what God created us to be whenever we were that little package there. We were once like that, that little package. You know, little little child was sitting on grandpa's knee and little child the 5 5-year-old says, "Grandpa, did God make you?" He says, "He sure did." Grandpa did God make me? Yes, he sure did. Little 5-year-old thinks for a minute and says, "Boy, he's improving, isn't he?" <laughs> Let's stand. <laughs> so Easter is not just about what we think of rabbits and chocolate and all those other things eggs and dinner and all that that's all good no, no, problem with, no problems with that but let us remember it's the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what makes us different than anyone else on the planet that doesn't believe. Because we have hope in our heart, we have hope not only for today, but for eternity. You see, I'm safe for eternity. Because Christ has forgiven me, I am safe for eternity. Because Christ has forgiven me, I am safe in the moment. And in this moment, what is it that God wants to do in me to change, to give me the strength and the desire and the goal to accomplish what he intended for me to be when I was that little package in my mother's womb. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the life, the breath of your spirit. God, the things of the past do not determine the direction for our todays or our future. We learn from them, but God, we forgive, we let go, and Lord, we allow you to inspire our hearts and our lives for this moment and for our tomorrows. May we forgive ourselves. May we forgive others. May we, O God, ask you to forgive us and live within our hearts. Forgive us of every sin. Renew a right spirit within us. Because (laughs) there is nothing to fear here. There is nothing to fear here. God, your life is my life. God, your life is my life. And we can each say that for ourselves. God, your life is my life. Amen. God bless you. Have a happy Easter. (laughs) Yes.